This podcast is brought to you by David Emerald, the author of a new book entitled Three Vital Questions, Transforming Workplace Drama. Please listen to podcast number 745, where Dave and Greg discuss the costs and challenges that drama creates in the workplace, as well as the innovative solutions that the three vital questions can present when implemented in the workplace. If you are seeking new ways to improve your workforce communications and efficiencies, then you won't want to miss this compelling interview with author David Emerald as he explains his methodology for creating with less drama and more effective communications. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And Victoria, as I do every time I come on one of these shows, I need to thank all the listeners worldwide who keep coming to this show, um, in excess of a quarter million of them now, who seem to like the show and like um, the books that we're reviewing. And today, we are going to be speaking with Victoria Roos Olson. And it's a Franklin Covey book put together by actually three authors. It's Victoria Olson, it is Todd Davis, and it is Scott Miller. And the book is called Everyone Deserves a Great Manager. Um, And Victoria, good day to you. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me on your show. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you being on the show. And I'm going to let our listeners know a little bit about you. Victoria Olson is a senior leadership consultant at Franklin Covey. She is an expert in leadership development and has trained, developed, and coached managers around the world for the past 20 years. She's also Mm -hmm. led learning and development divisions for large corporations in Europe and the Mideast, including, how do you say this, Jamara and Hilton? Am I saying it right? Jamera, yes. Jamera, okay. (laughs) She is an experienced keynote speaker who engages her audiences, whether two or 2,000 people in the room. She's an expert facilitator of several Franklin Covey offerings and servings on the development team of the seven habits of highly effective people and the four essential rules of leadership work sessions. She's effortlessly combines enthusiasm with focus and drive, helping leadership teams achieve their desired results. She's a native Swede, has a bachelor's degree in economics and hotel management from the renowned hotel school, The Hague in the Netherlands. Well, it's a pleasure having you on the show and spending a few minutes with us. Yeah. And talking about this new book. And for all my listeners, if you go to www.edagm.com or everyone deserves a great manager.com, you will find at that website videos. And there is an offering right now, by the way. Um, if you go up there, you'll have access to 35 plus author insight videos to enhance your application of these six critical practices that we're going to be talking about. So they really do it upright. Um, it's more than just the book. There's a lot of resources here for all the listeners. So that's wonderful. Well, you know, Victoria, the area of management, mm-hmm. for people that are coming into management, you say it right on the first page of the website, actually, mm-hmm. that this book is for people that are making that shift into management. In your mm-hmm. estimation, before we get into these six critical practices, what do these people really need to know? Because we have, you know, 
an older population, which is waning and going out. And those are the mm -hmm. wise ones. And yeah. hopefully mm -hmm. they're teaching some <laughs> of the new millennials, some of what yeah. they've got. Um, but in this transition from, you know, baby boomers to millennials, what can those baby boomers teach those millennials? And what do those millennials need to know that are coming into management these days? Well, that's a really good question. And that's what we've tried to just answer by this book. But the, the interesting thing is that due to several different reasons, right now, many organizations across the world really don't really support all these millennials entering into their first managerial positions. And I think that's just important to know. And there's this recent article in Harvard Business Review that states that most managers get their first managerial role at the age of 30, which, you know, makes sense. But also the average age of getting your first leadership development course is the age 42. So there's like a 12-year gap when managers are just kind of thrown into this, hey, congratulations, you got this promotion and you're now a manager. And that's what we find First of all, it's really distressing for the person and for the people who's now being led by this new manager. And it's also a bit scary for the business results that you don't understand the importance what these managers, the role that they play in the organization. So that's what we wanted to address, if you wish, with, with this book. And just, it's not a very long, theoretical big new things in the book it's quite practical it's a little bit more like hey these are the six critical practices if if you're super busy at least focus on these because then you will make a difference as a manager yeah and as you said you know this is first for first level managers and you were citing that statistic, which is really quite surprising. Mm -hmm. um, I know. <laughs> now, we we want to get into these six critical practices because I think as a new manager coming in, let's say you've just been promoted into this management mm -hmm. position, this book is yeah. for really those people, right? It's for people who I, are I would in. say so. Yeah, yeah. exactly. On the other hand, what I have noticed, because I worked a lot with the content and, and worked with, you know, more junior leaders, but also senior executives, actually, I find that a lot of senior executives that have been leaders for quite some time find this like a really good sort of sense check. Does that make sense? You know, it's like, okay, I can go back and check that I'm on track and many will find like, oh, yeah, good. I'm, you know, this one I'm on top of, hmm, maybe this one I need to sort of get back into it because bad habits or whatever reasons, never had the time and, and things. So I do find that senior leaders are also quite appreciative of the content. And also senior leaders usually have the, as you just said before, that they are maybe the baby boomers introducing the millennials to the market. And we should not forget about Generation X. I feel I'm a Gen X myself. and We always got sort of in the middle, you know, but trying to, to make it all happen. And really, so this is a great handbook for all these leaders to say like, all right, how can I now coach the new manager on my team so that he creates or she creates the results that I, I want him or her to do? So I would say definitely for new first level leaders, but also senior, more seasoned leaders would, will love having this book. 
Well, the good thing about this book is it's loaded with stories. It's also loaded with <laughs> skills yeah. and it's loaded with what you're calling practices. Mm. Um, and I think that if we can cover, hopefully we will, that each one of these chapters is a practice. And then within those practices, there are skills. So yeah, the first one is really develop a leader's mind shift. And you say mm. leaders learn the critical mindset shifts from those of the individual contributors to those of mm. a leader. Yeah, What is it that people today that are listening to this podcast should know about practice number one in developing this leader's mindset? Well, I think if it's not the most important, at least it's the most critical one to, to achieve success in your role as a leader. And the challenge most managers face is that they get their promotion in the first phase. I mean, I'd say 99% of all managers because they have done so well in their previous job, right? So, you know, they, they really performed well and now they got their promotion. But now what brought them here, here into this role is not going to make their success. So they have been an individual contributor. They've done great, but now they need to move that aside and focus on being a manager and help others achieve that success. And that's very often easier said than done. And yeah, I'm, I'm an example. I, you know, I teach leadership, as you know, and have done for many, many years. And a few years back, I went into an individual contributor role and worked as a key account manager just to sort of learn and expand a little bit. And after a few years, the CEO asked me if I could take on the role managing the sales team. So these would be an example of stories that we share uh, in the book. And so I did. And I, even though I work with all of this, I immediately fell into the trap of thinking like, hmm, for me to now really sort of deserve having this role as their leader, I need to make sure that my figures need to be on top. And ultimately in a stressful day, if you do have that mindset that my individual contribution will really matter more, that's what you're going to focus on. So it wasn't like, okay, I need to swap that and say, hey, I want this successful team of 10 really achieve. And secondary to that is my own individual contribution. Yeah. And you comment in this chapter that um, leaders don't, in fact, create engagement. And there's been so much mm-hmm. discussion about engagement, but mm-hmm. that the people choose their level of engagement. And you got a great little yes. chart in the book, you know, uh, rebel or quit to all the way up to creative excitement. Mm -hmm. Leaders create the conditions really for engagement. Um, What are some of the things that leaders can do to create the conditions to create creative excitement with inside their organization? Well, I I love that you brought that model up. And that's, I mean, that's the very bonus of writing a book with with the Franklin Covey backbone of all our models, because we can resist bringing that model into our book because we love it too and it's so important and as you say you know we we don't we can't pay anyone to be creative excited you know that that's it's a choice for the individual but here's the whole mindset for the second practice on on having your one-on-one so your one-on-one meetings that you have with your team members and very many of us we do 
see those meetings as kind of a status check. Hey, so how was last week and how's this week going and what are what's on for next week? Can, can I help you with anything? Okay, good. No, yeah, yeah, you you recognize this this classical one on one. So if that's your mindset, you become more of a monitor. But if you start to think, hey, okay, this one on one meeting that I have with my employee this very week, it's my one chance to really raise that level of engagement. So if you have that approach, how can I help this person to become creatively excited? What is it that I can do? You'll enter this meeting from a completely different mind view, from a different viewpoint. So that's the starting point, I'd say. And then yeah. this model, actually, I'd say, very often, you know, we as leaders, we get tools and we kind of keep them to ourselves. And I said, share this with your team member, talk about it and say, hey, let's talk about this model of engagement because, you know, where do you tend to find yourself and what can we do to feel that, you know, you would want to move up, maybe not to creative excitement tomorrow, but what about heartfelt commitment and what would that look like and what can we do to, to make that happen? And then right. you already have this dialogue happening. And I think the most important point about this book is that this is a working book. In other words, you mm. give these coaching questions at the end on this whole regular one-on-ones, yeah. which you're helping new managers ask the right questions, which is really important. And learning how to listen, you know, heartfelt listening, uh, yeah. you say with empathy. And I think that is really, really important. Now, practice three is to set up your teams to get results. Mm. You say that leaders learn to create, clarify about team goals and results, and that they delegate responsibility to team members while providing a right level of support. Um, If you would, what is it that you would help a new leader in actually setting up the teams to get results, setting the goals, determining what the objectives are, what's the intention. Uh, You have aligned goals to organizational priorities and you have a set of questions that you ask there as well. So would you comment on that for our listeners? Well, I I think that the key is really, as a leader, you need to understand the importance of we need to create that picture and I need to paint it together, you know, to say, this is where we're going. Um, And that becomes increasingly important, especially with the new generation entering the labor market, because people want to know what does it look like? And then more importantly, why, you know, and, and, and let your team be part of that journey. So it's not enough to say, Hey, we're going this way right now. You know, you need to make sure you paint the picture and talk about it with your team. What are we doing to contribute this to, to, to reach this target? And then you go in to the how, and maybe you are not the one saying, this is how we're gonna do it, but you wanna get that out from your team and then support them in the how rather than dictating that this is how to make it happen. Yeah, you know, you, you comment in the book about accountability meetings, and I think, That's really important. And you say that they have a rhythm to them. And you say to bring the team together regularly for brief team accountability meetings. Can you comment on creating these accountability meetings? Because it's talked about so much today. I I think for me, this is the key to success. And I remember really bringing this in as, as my practice as a leader. And 
uh, as you mentioned earlier, I've, I've led lots of diverse teams across the globe and uh, with many different team members. So just to find this rhythm of, of weekly meetings, which is what I always try to do, where the team is kind of in charge. So you as a leader, you, you're mostly the facilitator, if you wish, and you're, you're helping the team to move forward. And everyone is making commitments to a goal. And it might not be the end goal. I think that's where many leaders go wrong. We, we talk about that end figure. This doesn't make sense really to anyone in their day-to-day -day work, but rather say, you know, okay, what does that mean? What is it that we can do differently this week? And what are we doing to contribute to that goal? And you let everyone sort of say that you're not dictating, you let them be part of creating this picture and making their commitments towards the goal. And that's when, you know, the cool things start to happen. And it's again another chance in a sense to raise the team engagement towards the goal. So I'd recommend any leader to to have that weekly accountability meeting. Yeah. <laughs> accountability is such a large element. Many Companies like Franklin Covey mm. have courses that just work on accountability. There's lots of them mm. out there. But, you know, in creating this culture of feedback, you know, the feedback loop is so important. But one of the skills, ones, as you say, give reinforcing feedback. What's yeah. the difference? You know, you have a couple of pages actually dedicated to just giving reinforcing feedback. How do you, or would you guide, how would you guide somebody in doing reinforcing feedback, which is, uh, you know, we used to call it the carrot or the stick, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. You, you don't want to use the stick, you want to use the carrot and have good reinforcing feedback. Yeah, I think a lot of leaders underestimate the power of giving reinforcing feedback. And I, I think they see it as something nice to have. And also sort of, it's like a pat on the back, hey, good job. And a friend once pointed out to me, you know, whenever you go to the supermarket and you pick something from the shelf, you're kind of voting for what the supermarket should keep in stock. You're like, I'm picking this brand instead of that brand, etc. In a sense, if you want to see reinforcing feedback the same way, like look at your team, look at the organization, and whenever you see a behavior that you like that is contributing to you achieving that goal, you want to send your vote for that. You want to cast your vote and say, hey, I saw you just now greeting the new guests arriving and you really did look up and you gave them this big smile before you went into the computer to check them in. And that's exactly what we've been talking about in our team meetings. Well done. You know, so you want to help people and you want to catch them doing all these things right before they start to go off in different directions. And, and that's the key. It will save you a lot of time, actually, if you get it when it's right, rather than wait until you have a challenge. Yes. And, you know, you have pointed out in this book, and I think that this is a really important thing. Actually, um, I think it was Todd that it, it has his name under this. It says the six, <laughs> the six most common responses to feedback. You know, yeah. you have the excuse maker, the overreactor, the perfectionist, the poster. Uh, you've got the emoter and the mature improver. What, what would you comment on that? Because, you know, when you get feedback, you frequently will have people that will fall into these categories, right? 
um, yeah. or they'll use many of them. Um, <laughs> how do you help one who is working with, let's say, the excuse maker? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really uh, we've we've had much fun when we were discussing these different types of of how you receive feedback, and I, I think it's first of all look for for the pattern that you're seeing and and be start to be prepared and the better prepared you are going into any feedback situation the chances that you'll be more professional so you know if you if you have someone who's making excuses you'll you'll typically you know acknowledge that and say okay that's great but now we need to talk about you and this what happened and what was within your circle of concern uh you know what what is it that you could influence out of this so you need to be quite clear and quite structured and that's why it's so important that before you go into the meeting you really need to know for yourself so you know don't just randomly throw out a little bit of feedback but but really consider about hey what's the behavior i've seen and what effect does it have on whatever it is that we're going to achieve. So you kind of just need to to help this person to come back and, and see that big picture and, and help them understand what their part, even, you know, whatever different circumstances were out there, what they could have done differently to help you move forward. Very good. Yes. And I think knowing how someone will respond and how you can do a better job is important. You know, in practice number five, you, you, you start the book off with most people think change is good, but only yeah. when it's their idea. When it yeah. comes from other people, it's not nearly as enjoyable. And at MIT, scientist and management expert Peter Senge said, people mm-hmm. don't resist change. They resist being changed. How do yeah. you help people want to change? Because we know there's an immunity to change. Uh, versus having someone try to change them. We know that you can't change people. You have to encourage people to want to change themselves. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I do think that traditionally within leadership, it's been a little bit like, okay, so now here's this big bad change coming. And as a leader, you kind of need to protect or shield your team from from all these bad consequences. And I I think really that's the wrong way to go. I, I think... The better way and what we're really trying to put forward in the book is like, how can I champion change with my team? How can I get everyone excited on this? So so what we've done is that we've shared one of our um, models on, on leading change because we do think that the tricky part is to take your team through this emotional journey. As you said, we, we don't really like change when it's happening to us. So what is it, you know, what are reactions that would be normal to expect and how can you as a leader help your team through these different phases, these different zones, if you wish. So that's what we're trying to contribute. So don't see it like, okay, I'm going to shield them and, you know, just give them the little details, but rather, all right, how can we as a team move together through this this, um, curve of change so that we really reached a better performance, what we're aiming for. Yeah. And you have put a great chart in the book under skill three, mm-hmm. and it's called yeah. adapt quickly to change in zone three. Can mm-hmm. you kind of explain those three zones for the listeners? And then what you talk about is the point of decision. 
Yeah. So very quickly, first we have the zone of status quo, or status quo, where things are going on and as normal. And if you are there, enjoy it. That's what I'm saying, everyone, because it won't be for long. Uh, but maybe also use this time to strengthen up your 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 team a little bit, your skills, and don't you know just sort of they you know and not expect because change will come so that's zone of status quo then change comes and you enter the zone of disruption so remember this change could be an external factor coming from you know another organization or the market but it could be an internal change organizational change all different kinds of change and that's going to be difficult for people so here uh, is a time where you really need to sort of get everyone on board, explain why are we doing this change, what is happening, how can we contribute? And then comes exactly what you were saying and referring to the point of decisions, because this is critical. This is where you want to help your team members to come to you as quickly as possible, because this is where they decide, okay, I'm on board. I understand this is going to happen, whether I like it or not, and now let's just make the best out of it or let's contribute or, or, or let's make it cool, whatever you, you get to that point. The trick though is that your team and yourself, you'll not sort of all walk hand in hand from zone to zone, you know, so, you know, different individuals will pass through the zones in different speed. But once you get there, that's the critical point because only now can you go into the zone of adoption and in the curve, first we have one image in the book that where it looks like really nice and smooth, but the fact is that the zone of adoption is sort of this yarn of, you know, back and forth and up and down because it, you know, you're doing some progress and then you're having a backlash and it goes a bit back and forth. And here as a leader, you're communicating, 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 helping everyone sort of make this transition into you finally get the zone of better performance where you're like, okay, we made it, we made it happen. And and that final zone is actually also very important because very often in our very busy lives, we're like, okay, great, we made it, let's, let's go on to the next change. But to just take a moment and stop and say, hey, we did it. You know, we, we made this happen to celebrate that and also point out what it is that you did that was really good so that you can use those experiences for the next change initiative that is coming your way, even though you might not know about it yet, but for sure there will be change if you work today in 2019. There will always be change and mm. it'll be constant change. And so people have to get used to being able to live with that because um, the speed at which things are moving, which kind of links brings me to the sixth practice, which is managing your time mm. and energy. And, you know, you yeah. speak about it in the book. I don't know if your the house you had was in Smallland or not, but you, you, you had <laughs> close it. To. <laughs> close to. Close <laughs> to. Yes. Um, and I like the way that you put it is because, you know, this was a place where you could go and get some downtime. And, mm -hmm. you know, you've always been a really hard worker. You know, you set up yeah. schedules yourself for waking up extremely early in the morning, you know, 4 a.m., that kind of thing. But I think managing your energy, I wrote a book uh, as well, several books, mm -hmm, and I speak mm -hmm. about this same thing, which is to manage yeah. your energy. And I, I think it's one of those things that when a new manager takes on and they're trying to yeah. impress everybody, sometimes they'll forget this, which is 
Yeah. You know, I need to do my yoga in the morning. I really should, mm. you know, go do my run in the afternoon because I'm going to be a better person if I've managed this energy. What are some of the practices that you would recommend to people that are brand new managers that are going, well, I need to impress the company, but at the same time, I just don't have the time to do all this other stuff. You do have the time. You have to take the time, right? Yeah, I, I think, oh, I'm, 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 I can hear that you're passionate about this topic as well. And I think it's sometimes it's even frustrating to talk about it because most people, they really, they do know what they should do to feel better and to have to manage their energy. But I, I see many managers, some are so passionate about what they're doing that they forget everything else. Uh, other managers are you know, quite, um, they might even think that this is something they should, out of nobility almost, they should put themselves last. So for, let's make sure that my team is doing well before I, I do something for myself. It's like a reward. But just like you're saying, this is an investment in being a better leader, in being a better manager. So I, I think that that's the key. And I do think that it's important to be this role model but I also think that this is going to be one of the leadership competencies that are going to become increasingly important the longer we go. Because not only do you need to manage your own energy, but you need to be able to coach and help your team members to do so. As, as you, you're very well aware, I'm sure, you know, burnout rate is higher than ever. Uh, as we're stating in the book, there's lots of the jobs as we know them today that will be replaced by artificial intelligence, which means that we need to use our brain a lot more than we previously, you know, like, which means that we need to feed our brain. And you meant, you know, so it depends. How do I move? How do I eat? How do I sleep? How do I connect? All these things that really make a difference. Right. So and in the book, we actually have that. You mentioned <laughs> five of them in this book that you quoted called mm -hmm. the five choices, the path to extraordinary productivity. And you call them yeah. the five drivers affect your energy levels. And that's sleep, relaxation, connect, move and eat. And, mm. um, you know, you then give a chart in there, an audit of where are you? And, and I'd highly yeah. recommend to all the listeners, you know, do the audit because it's really going to tell you where you are in these areas. And for you to be an effective manager, you need to manage um, your sleep and your activity and everything that you do to, so that you can stay on the top of your game. Um, yeah. And the only way you're going to do that is if you do it. And you also talk about scheduling. I know Franklin, mm. because I go back, I'm 65 years old. Um, mm -hmm. I have been a Franklin Covey planner user for a long time. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, and I know the world has gone digital this way. Yes. But yes. There are I, digital options too. <laughs> I started in the days when it was paper planners. Uh, mm -hmm, but the reality mm -hmm. now is, you know, if somebody takes that 15 or 20 minutes in the yeah. evening to plan yeah. the following day, mm -hmm. they're so much more effective, aren't they? Oh, yes. And I would say plan the following day, but also, it, and we've seen this over and over again, plan weekly. So so take a little bit of time. And I many think that that's Monday morning, but I would say like Thursday afternoon, uh, that's the time that is ideal to plan your next week. So then, you know, schedule 30 minutes for yourself, 
revisit next week and see, hey, what's my big goals? What is it that I need to achieve? What is it going to look like? And and use the space of this week properly. Get all your roles represented there. Some of us, we tend to think that we have one calendar for work and one for private or the private one is in our head. But, you know, for things we were mentioning, like going out for your run, et cetera, there's statistics proven that if you schedule it, the likelihood of it happening is much greater than if you don't schedule it. So use that. And, and you know, there are lots of examples in the book on really how to, to do this and prepare you, yourself for that. Well, and you give, uh, for all of my listeners, just so you know, the last pages of this book are practices. All those practices mm. we talked about, you can actually make notes. There's checklists. Um, there's yeah. things that you can go through in the book. And I want to encourage the listeners too, uh, Victoria, to actually go to the website and the videos that yeah. your team have put up there together are very insightful. And uh, these videos Thank are you. about each of the practices and they all run about three minutes or so. It's certainly worth your while to uh, take a look at those videos. And then we're going to have a link also to the book uh, up at Amazon. Um, you mm-hmm. also have this all access pass. Um, that's Franklin Covey's all access pass. Mm. What is that all about? Because that looks like it's all the courses that you, the seven habits, the five choices of extraordinary productivity. Um, it's everything, right? Yeah. I, if you are an HR or an L and D professional or a manager, this is like your ideal tool set you have everything in there and you can just pick and design from all our different programs to create what really fits for you and you know the the wonderful thing of the new technology of today you know you can do certain things uh, digital you can do other things live and there's so many different options to really customize exactly to meet the requirements that that you need and it might be like okay, we really need to up our feedback skills. You might want to pick all the different things on feedback in the organization. So it's it's a great tool. And, you know, that's how many work you might want to have a Franklin Covey consultant, but you might also want to facilitate it for yourself, you know, within your team. Yeah. So you're saying that they can get access to that and do a self-facilitation or they can mm-hmm. access it through the videos that are there because... Yeah. Look, everybody's going this way these days. It used to be that you have to used to have someone stand up in the class and deliver this. Now you can use videos and then uh, you can get certified to do this. I'm sure Covey has yeah. that as well. Yes, so, for sure. For sure. That's how I started with Frank and Covey in Dubai, right. working with our material. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's all kinds of ways that you can get engaged with Covey. So for everyone, go to everyonedeservesagreatmanager.com. You'll learn more about the book. You'll see the um, three authors there as well. And you'll learn more about the six critical practices. Um, It's been a pleasure having you on, Victoria. Appreciate the time that you spent with our listeners this morning and letting them know about how they can boost their management skills. You're quite welcome. You're quite welcome. So is there any last parting words you want to leave for our listeners before we end the podcast? Well, 
just wanted to say that if you are a manager, you can really make a difference, maybe a bigger difference than you ever thought, because you can really impact all these people's life and they'll go on and impact the people around them. So just see it as a, a blessing to get the opportunity to be a manager or a leader, because yeah, you can make it happen. <laughs> Well, thanks so much, Victoria. And for my listeners, we've been on with Victoria Olson. The book is called Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, The Six Critical Practices for Leading a Team. And it's by Scott Miller, Todd Davis, and Victoria Olson. These are the leadership team experts at Franklin Covey. Thanks so much, Victoria. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Leo Batari, the author of a new book entitled What Anyone Can Do. Please listen to podcast number 749, where Greg and Leo speak about the power of surrounding yourself with the right people in your life. As Leo points out in today's fragmented, social media-driven world, it's become harder to connect with people on a personal level. Yet, this is precisely what's needed. Please join Greg and Leo in this lively podcast number 749, where Leo reveals how to attain what you want in life. If you want more information about author Leo Batari, please visit www.leobatari, spelt B-O-T-T-A-R-Y, dot com. Thanks for listening.